Well, thank you, Mo, and good morning to everybody. I know uh, for me, on these cool, crisp mornings, there's something about walking outside that just makes me feel a little bit more alive. So maybe some of you were experiencing that as well. Uh, They also remind me that the holidays are just around the corner. We've got Thanksgiving coming up this week. Christmas in a month, and I hope that uh, there's some time in there for you to find some rest and recovery and an amazing time to connect with friends and family. Well, I know uh, for, for Lindsay and I, over the past few months, we have been taking advantage of live events happening uh, and have made our way to a few different shows. The first one we went to uh, kind of post-COVID was a few months ago. It's one of Lindsay's favorite bands who was in town from the UK in Oakland. And so uh, we, went, we went over to, to watch this show, to listen to them perform. And we had, we had pretty high expectations. Lindsay really likes this band. I listened to them as well. So we were hopeful that this was going to be a really enjoyable evening. Uh, and, and I have to say that the show was incredible. I mean, it like blew us away. I don't know if you've had an experience like this before where, where you listen to a band for a while and, and you enjoy their stuff and you go to see them and you realize that like in person, they're like a hundred times better than they were on the recording. That was this kind of experience. The show was just full of energy. It was live. It was just an amazing time. And after this, we found ourselves for, uh, in the days following this show, just kind of regularly looking at one another and be like, man, that was a great show, wasn't it? Just like reliving this experience together, recounting what a great time we had and how enjoyable it was to be there. There's something that's built into us that when we experience something incredible, when we experience something amazing, we want to live in that a little bit. We want to share it with others. We want to tell people about it. We want to recount the experience with people that were there. There's something about witnessing something incredible that makes us want to respond to that in some way. And, And we're going to look in Exodus 15 this morning as we see Moses and the people of Israel responding to something amazing that God has just done. If you've been with us for the last few months, you know that we've been studying the book of Exodus together. And this morning we come to a little bit of a a seam in the book, kind of a turning point, because up until this point, the people have been enslaved in Egypt and God has done all kinds of things. He's he's seen them there. He said he's going to deliver them. He's raised up Moses. He sent 10 plagues. And then last week we saw God part the Red Sea while the people of Israel walked through and then God closed the water in over on the Egyptians, wiping out their whole army. And now from this point on, the people are going to be in the wilderness. They're going to be moving forward. But Exodus 15, it stops and it pauses. And what we have in this chapter is we have a song. It's a song of praise. It's a song of worship. And it's a song that, that is looking back at this amazing thing that God has just done and just kind of sitting in it for a while and praising God for this incredible thing that he's done. So we're gonna look at this chapter together, this song that is sung by Moses and the people. Uh, and, and we're gonna think as we go about the songs that God gives us to sing as well. So let's start looking at our text in Exodus 15, one through three. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed victoriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. 
The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. After the people cross through the Red Sea and it closes in on the Egyptians, they're standing there on the banks of the sea just in awe. There's dead bodies of Egyptian soldiers floating in the water, pieces of broken chariot washing up on the shore. And the people of Israel are like, what just happened? That was Amazing. I mean, did you see the waters? They just like, they were there and then, and then they opened up and we walked through it and they're just, wow, what, look at what God has just done. They're amazed and they find themselves worshiping. Now I imagine that, that if I was there or, or what I might expect the Israelites to do to kind of sing about or to praise God for in light of all of this is for their newfound freedom. Right? We, we've been slaves for generations and, and now the thing that we've been asking God to do, he has done, he has freed us from our slavery. But the focus of this song is not actually on the fact that God has freed the people from their slavery, but it's specifically a response to the fact that God has triumphed over his enemies, that God has defeated the Egyptians. That's what they continually praise God for throughout this psalm. We saw in in verse three that that they praise God for being a man of war, for being a warrior, right? God, God has fought this battle for us. Now that image of God as a warrior is a little bit more distant for us than it was for the Israelites, right? In their time, military conflict was, was just a part of life. These were small people groups that were constantly in conflict with other small people groups as they tried to establish secure sources of food and greater economic prosperity and, and access to trade routes and things like this. These little clans were, were always at war with one another. And in Israel, in order for them to be safe as this small people group, they needed God to be a warrior for them. They needed God to fight for them. And that's exactly what God did. God was with them, fighting their battles, telling them when to engage their enemy and when to withdraw. And God was bringing about victory on behalf of his people. The people of Israel needed God to be a warrior. But we also need God to be a warrior. We need God to fight for us. Because just as the people of Israel were engaged in battles, we too are engaged in a war. It's, it's a spiritual war. It's, it's not a war against the, the Egyptians. It's a war against spiritual powers. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we too are are fighting a battle. We too are engaged in war, but this war is a spiritual war. Our enemy is a spiritual enemy. We we are in conflict with the devil. And Jesus tells us that, that his goal, his mission, his purpose is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That he is out to steal our joy. He's out to kill our peace. He is out to destroy our confidence in God. 
And this is an enemy that we face day in and day out. How is it that, that Satan does this? How is it that the devil tries to steal, kill, and to destroy? In John 8, Jesus is having this, this conflict with the Pharisees. And, and they're boasting about their status as Israelites, saying that, that they're children of Abraham. And Jesus says, you are not children of Abraham. You are children of your father, the devil. This is how he says it in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is saying that, that the primary tactic that Satan wants to use in his spiritual attack is that of lies. He wants to feed us lies and to get us to believe lies over and against the truth of God. This is how John Mark Comer, a pastor and author up in the Pacific Northwest says it. He says, all the other stuff, demonization, illness, wreaking havoc in the natural order, scaring little kids with bad dreams is biblical and we need to take it seriously. It's all real. I could tell you countless stories, but it's secondary. Jesus sees our primary war against the devil as a fight to believe truth over lies. And then he goes on to say this, specifically, the devil lies about who God is, who we are, and what the good life is. We have an enemy who is out there trying to get us to believe things that are not true. Things that are not true about God, things that are not true about us, things that are not true about what kind of life is going to lead us to love and peace and joy. We have an enemy out there who is trying to get us to believe things that are false. All kinds of lies that, that Satan would have us believe. You see, the, the, the battle that we're engaged in, the war that we're engaged in is not against the armies of Egypt. Right? We're not fighting with swords. We're not being bombed. We're not being hacked. Right? Jesus says, that's not the war that you are fighting. The war that you are fighting is a war to believe truth over lies. That is what we are trying to do. We have the evil one who would come at us in such subtle ways. Just a little whisper here, a little doubt there, a little bit of truth sprinkled with a lethal amount of lie so that we might come to believe things that are not true about God, about us, and about what makes for the good life. Did God really say? Did God really say that you may not eat of any fruit in the garden? That doesn't sound very loving, does it? Did, did God really say that he was going to provide for you? I mean, you just got laid off. Like, why didn't he protect your job? Did God really say that he's a healer? If he is, why doesn't the cancer go away? Why doesn't the depression go away? These are our lies about who God is. We also experience lies about who we are. Did God really say that he would forgive you? I mean, you, knowing all that you've done, seems unlikely, doesn't it? Did God really say 
that you would have a place in his family. You, someone like you, someone with your past, someone with your gender identity. I mean, just look around. You don't fit in here. Did God really say that you belonged here? Did God really say that you must love one another? I mean, sure, some people, but you know that person, right? You know who they voted for. You know what they think about you. Did God really say that you need to love them? The primary strategy that the evil one would do in his battle against us is to get us to believe things that are not true, to get us to believe that lies that come straight from the pit of hell are actually truth spoken to us from God. That is blasphemy. That is what Satan would have us believe. All of these untruths about who God is and about who we are in him. We need to combat the lies of the evil one with our defense, which is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. This book is full of truth. And we need to soak ourselves in this book so that we might have uh, defenses against the lies of the evil one. So, so what is truth? What is the truth of God? Well, there's so many things that we could say, but here's a couple. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that voice in your head telling you that, that you're not good enough, that you're not enough, it's lies. It's not from God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That, that voice in your head that tells you that you need to clean yourself up before you can come to God, before you can be acceptable in his sight, it's lies. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his beautiful son, Jesus. Well, how about this? Galatians 5, 24 through 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. That, that voice that tells you that, that you're never gonna change that you're always gonna be a failure as a parent, that you're always gonna be an unfaithful friend, that you're always gonna struggle with these same deeply ingrained patterns of sin, that lie, that, that, that voice that tells you that you're, you're never gonna change, that's a lie. You are filled with the very spirit of God. You have crucified your flesh with its passions and desires and you now have the life of God in you, the spirit of God in you working to bring about the character of Christ. That's what's true. Right? That's who God is. That's who we are. We have to take the truth that's in this book and get it into our heads so that it can sink down into our hearts and begin to transform our souls. That is how we engage our enemy in this battle that we are all faced with. For the people of Israel, as they stand on the shore of the Red Sea, it's obvious for them that God has won this victory over their enemies. And so they, they go on and they sing a bit more about this same theme as the song continues. Let, let's look at what they say as they continue from here. Starting in verse four. Pharaoh's chariots and his horse and his host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The flood covered them. 
They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O God, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Like, God, you have overcome, you have destroyed, you have triumphed over your enemies. This is so obvious for them. They see it and they cannot help but give God the praise. And the crazy thing is that all of this, this incredible, miraculous defeat, for God, this was not hard. They they go on in verse 8. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. (laughs) This is an amazing picture. God blows, not even with his mouth, but with his nose. And then the water just parts, right? And the people walk through and the Egyptians come after them. And then God just blows again and the water covers over them and they're gone, right? This was not hard for God. To overcome his enemies is not hard for God. It might look like it's difficult here. For God, this is not difficult. God triumphs victoriously. He defeats his enemies with ease. And as the people of Israel watch this, as the people of Israel witness God do this incredible thing, they say, there is no one like our God. This is what they say next, verses 11 and 12. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. God, there, there is no one like you. There is no one who can stand up to your power, right? The Egyptian magicians couldn't do it. They tried to replicate all these signs and the plagues. They couldn't do it. The elite Egyptian soldiers, they couldn't do it. They're dead in the water. The, the gods of Egypt who were supposedly the, the, the most powerful gods in all the world, they couldn't do it. They couldn't protect their people. Right? God, there is no one like you. There is no one like our God. There is no one, there is nothing that can stop God from accomplishing that which he sets out to do. There is no one who can get in his way. There is no one who can come against him and win. There is no one like our God. Our God triumphs over his enemies. He triumphs over those who would come against him. There's there's no army. There's no dictator. There's no politician, there's no evil regime, there's no culture, there's no ideology. There is is nothing that can stop God from accomplishing what he sets out to accomplish. And the amazing thing is that just as the Egyptians are standing on the shores saying, our God has triumphed, past tense, we too, can declare with confidence, our God has triumphed, past tense, in Christ. That through Jesus on the cross, God has won the war against evil. God says as much 
in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, he, that is Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Past tense. This is what Jesus did. He has defeated evil. He has triumphed over them. He has put them to shame. He has won the war. Right? This, is, this is what God has done for us. The victory has already been won. Your sins are no longer held against you because of what Jesus did in his death and resurrection. Your account, which once showed a balance of guilt, has been replaced, wiped clean, and now in your account is a balance of righteousness. You who were once controlled by the desires of your flesh have been filled with the Spirit of God who wants to bring about the character of Christ in you. We were once dead, but now we are, now we are alive. We were once alone, but now we have been filled with the very presence of God. All of that has already happened. All of that is already true of us. That's who God is. That's who we are. Do you feel that victory in your life? Do you live in light of the fact that all of that is already true of you? Do you experience the triumph of God, the power of God over evil, over sin in your life? You know, the, the interesting thing for the people of Israel is that God has brought them out of the land, but they're in kind of a strange spot, right? They're out on the other side of the Red Sea, and, and now what lies before them is just wilderness. It's just desert. But that's not where God wanted to leave them, right? God, God didn't just want to deliver them from Egypt and bring them into the desert. No, he said, I have a place for you. I have a land, a promised land that I've prepared for you, and this is where I'm going to bring you. But for them, that land was, was, was full of people, right? And even though they had already experienced victory over the Egyptians, there was still a battle to come. And as they continue in this song, they talk about that battle. Let's look, verses 13 to 18. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan melt away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. What we see here for the people of Israel, that even though the war has been won, the battle still continues. And the language that they use in this part of the song is very interesting because it's actually in the past tense, much of it. This language that talks about them conquering the land, moving into the promised land, 
they speak it as if it's already happened. And scholars talk a lot about how it is that, that this happens. Are they, are they just sort of looking forward with such great confidence in what God is going to do? That's possible. It's also possible, though, that this song, which was, was not just meant for the people of Israel in the days of Moses, but this song was a song that was meant to be sung generation after generation after generation. And we, we know that that's true historically. We know that this song was sung over and over again. And even as the book of Exodus is being written, it's being written for a people who are already living in the land. Those are the ones who this book is written to, trying to remind them of, of who God is and who they are in him. And so this song, which was sung generation after generation after generation, it seems that the, the version that we have here is perhaps written from that perspective of those who have already entered the land. But in Exodus 15, as, people, as the people stand on the shores of the Red Sea, they, they recognize that they are out of Egypt, but they are not yet in the promised land. That even though the, the battle has been won, it's still there's some fighting that lies ahead. And this is exactly the place that we find ourselves in as well. God has already delivered us from our slavery to sin. We have already been set free. We have already been brought out, but we have not yet been fully brought in. We, we are not dwelling in our eternal home with God. He has not yet fully ushered in the new heavens and the new earth. Instead, we find ourselves in this in-between place, this place where we've been brought out, but we haven't yet been brought in. And this is an interesting place for us to live because it reminds us that even though the war is won, still the battle continues. You know, I would love to be able to stand up here today and, and to tell you that the victory of God over evil means that the sickness that you're facing will be healed, that the broken relationship that's in your life will be restored that the injustice that we see at, at work in this world will end in our lifetimes, that, that those deeply ingrained patterns and habits of, of sin that you see in your life, that those will be completely eradicated. I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you that the victory that Christ won on the cross means that all of this will be worked out while we're here on this earth. But that's not what it means. In fact, Jesus tells us that if we follow him, that we need to pick up our cross and follow him. That, that, that we should actually expect that instead of our problems going away when we follow Jesus, that some of our problems get worse. That the path of discipleship is one that, that's full of, of difficulty. Because yes, the kingdom of God is here in part, but it's not here in full. And the battle against, the, the war against evil has been won, but still the battle continues. We've been brought out of our slavery to sin, but we have not yet been brought into our eternal dwelling place with God. So how do we live in this in-between? What do we do in this place of being out, but not yet in? We wait. We wait with patience. We wait with hope. We wait with longing. We, we wait with expectation. Because I can't tell you that God is going to take away your pain. But I can tell you that he's going to be with you in the midst of it. 
And I, I can't tell you that you're going to experience a, a full healing and eradication of, of sin in your life, but I can tell you that you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, working to bring about Christ in you. And I cannot tell you that you and your loved ones are not gonna get sick and that they're not going to die. We know that we will. But I can tell you that when Jesus comes back, even that death will be turned into resurrection life. This is how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, this is talking about the day when Jesus will come back. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a victory that we receive when Jesus comes back, when sin is completely eradicated, when evil is totally vanquished, when the kingdom of God is here, not just in part, but in full. When the new heavens and the new earth come down and we get to dwell with God forever. That is the future that awaits us for those who are in Christ. Thanks be to God indeed. As we live in this in-between, we, we, we wait, we wrestle, we're engaged in conflict, we're engaged in battle. And as we wait, just like the people of Israel, as we wait, so too we worship. Right? We, we look for the ways that God has already brought about victory in our lives. For the ways that we've seen God move, the things that we've seen him accomplish, and we give him worship. We've looked already at the end of the song of Moses. When we read 13 through 18, that's, that's where Moses and the people stop. But the song doesn't stop there. And what we see after that is that Miriam picks up where Moses left off. Let me read verses 19 through 21 of Exodus 15. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. It's the same song that Moses and the people just sang. It's like Moses and the people, they get done singing it and then Miriam goes out and she gathers all the women and she says, bring your tambourines, put on your dancing shoes. We're gonna sing it again. 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 And over and over and over, the people would sing this song, recounting the triumph of God over evil, the victory of God over evil, that God has won the war, that even though the battle may continue, God has already proved himself victorious in so many ways. This song was sung over and over again in the history of Israel. And this is meant to be a song that we sing as well. And so I wanna give you two final encouragements in our time together this morning. First one is to find your song. Find your song. 
when the people of Israel look back on what God had done, they recount it in incredible detail. This is how God brought victory in our situation, in our circumstance. How has God brought victory to your life? How have you experienced his power? How have you experienced his presence? What miracles have you seen him do? What seas have you watched him part? How has God been at work in your life? Notice that and, and give God the praise, give God the glory, find your song. But secondly, tell your story. Tell your story. Tell other people of what God has done in your life. Tell them about how Jesus has forgiven your sins, how he's healed you, how he's helped you find wholeness and healing and joy and peace. Tell people what God has done in your life. Find your song, tell your story. I wanna give us an opportunity to do both of those things together this morning. In just a few moments, we're gonna have a time of life together. This is our open mic sharing time where we get to talk about what God has done in our lives. And the specific prompt for us this morning is going to be, what are you thankful for? All right, we're coming up on Thanksgiving this Thursday, a great time to reflect on all that we have to be grateful for. How have you seen God at work in his life? How has he blessed you? How have you seen his victory? How have you experienced his presence? What are you thankful for? But I also wanna help us to find our song, right? to be able to praise God for what he has already done in our lives. So if you would, I wanna invite you to stand with me, if you're able, you can do so now. And I, I wanna give us just a, a few moments to kind of think back with the Lord about the ways that we have experienced his presence and power in our lives the ways that we have experienced his victory in our lives, those battles that the Lord has already fought and won for us. So let's just, let's close our eyes together and let's just take a few moments to notice the ways in our lives that God has shown up when we needed him. The ways that God has fought for us, maybe when we didn't even realize that there was a battle happening. What are the ways that you have experienced the power and presence of God in your life over sin, over evil, over brokenness, over selfishness, over injustice, over sickness. Oh Lord, there are so many ways that we have experienced your power and your presence, your victory in our lives. I know this room is full of stories of people who have overcome addiction and experienced uh, relationships healed and, and miracles of physical healing and miracles of, of uh, financial protection and provision when we were in a difficult place. Lord, there are so many ways that you have been good to us, so many ways that we have experienced your victory in our lives already. And so God, we just wanna pause here and we wanna say thank you. We wanna give you the praise. We wanna give you the glory. We wanna give you the honor. God, you are so good. Thank you for all that you have accomplished for us in Jesus. Thank you for the ways that you allow us to experience your victory, even right in the midst of our struggles. God, we give you the praise and the glory. Amen.
Let's worship the Lord together. so good, yes you are, we thank you for your goodness.